Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on Twip, shoot and get shot. BP gets slippery with photographers and photographer David Dushman talks about ebook publishing. All that and more on episode number 152 of This Week in Photography. And we're back for another episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Really exciting show today. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. Um, let's do a quick introduction of our guest panel and co-hosts. Uh, first up is Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. Hello. Good morning. Hey, welcome back to the show again. And also on the line is Joseph Lenaski, fresh from uh, China, I think he was just in. Hey, Joseph. Good morning, and broadcasting live from uh, your living room. <laughs> yes, you are, downstairs. <laughs> Welcome back. Joseph is in town to do a meetup, uh, This Week in Photography meetup tonight at Genesis Studios up in Mountain View. So thanks, Joseph. Thank you. And uh, also, very special guest, Mr. Richard Harrington is uh, is joining us to join in the fray and talk about all these exciting topics. Hey, Richard. Great to be here. Good to have you. Everyone sounds great. All right, before we jump into this, um, let's give a quick nod to our sponsor, and that's audible.com. We're brought to you by those guys, and they're the, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. They've got over 75,000 downloadable titles across everything, pretty much, all types of literature, including uh, audio versions of the New York Times bestsellers and uh, nonfiction, fiction, everything, anything you could possibly want. I've been engrossed in um, kind of motivational Tony Robbins-type ebooks lately um, and getting all fired up about stuff. So they've, they've got a ton of those things there. Um, do you, uh, Richard, are you, uh, are you a fan of listening to books on tape or are you more of a podcast kind of guy? Uh, I do a little bit of both. I, uh, I certainly have several audible books actually on my iPhone and uh, sometimes find that I'll use those while traveling on planes. Nice. It's not as much in the car these days. The uh, most car trips have kids in them, and there's something about a good murder mystery that just doesn't go with a three year old. Yeah. yeah, the kids are in tears when you get to your destination. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I just noticed that I called these books on tape. Does that does that show that I'm getting you old? Did. I, I just noticed that too. I was like, well, I'm <laughs> not going to correct it. Like, what's this tape thing? It's I very mean, quaint. They used to be books on tape. I'm sorry. My dad used to subject us. Uh, we'd go on road trips, and all through the road trip, all you'd hear was. You are the best you can be. <laughs> it was like these motivational tapes were like, please, can we listen to radio? Yeah. Please that, insert that, tape 16. Exactly. <laughs> Did you know that for a million dollars, Tony Robbins will give you his personal home phone number for a year? Really? Yeah. And then he changes it after that? <laughs> Apparently so. But he doesn't answer it. You get an answer machine kind of? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. A million dollars. Hey, for $100,000, I will give anybody my personal phone number. How for life. <laughs> for, if you had a million dollars years. to spend like that, would you need Tony Robbins' home you phone? Would, you wouldn't think so, would you? But Exactly. Very cool. Uh, but again, um, 
you know, audible.com. If you're, uh, if you're interested in trying those guys out, head over to audible.com and pick the, or actually head over to auto, head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. Um, and you can download a free audible book of your choice to try their service out. And that's audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. All right, guys, let's jump into this news. Um, the first one up, our lead story, comes to us uh, via Gizmodo, and um, um, it's uh, <laughs> you know, I, Richard. Like before we started the show, I know you were talking about how controversial our, our rundown was for this show, and uh, you know, as I look at it, it is kind of controversial. This one is about um, Illinois, Massachusetts, and Maryland being among twelve states in which all parties must consent for a recording i.e. photography to be legal um basically if you take a photo of a police officer and they don't say you can take a photo of them you have committed a crime and they can arrest you or do other things terrifying i mean this is really bad yeah i'm frightened by this why i well i mean the, the, you know because this clearly uh just turns everything upside down in, in terms of what the, our expectations are for being able to take photos in public places well it uh, makes it into a police state yeah, where so. we are no longer permitted to police our own police department and isn't that why we got into this type of government in the first place so that the people could govern their government yeah 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 so i mean you know being an illinois boy i'm i'm very disappointed to see one of you know my state on there and you know illinois I and mean, even massachusetts which is generally a pretty uh you know, I mean, they, I, actually, all of them are fairly liberal states. It's kind of interesting to see what, what's going on here. And I don't, I don't know that this will hold up if it's taken to higher courts. But in the meantime, there's going to be people, like I mentioned in this article, that are being arrested and prosecuted for uh, taking a picture of a police officer doing their job. Uh, I don't, you know, it's, it's just you know terrifying. What keeps, keeps popping into my mind as I read this story, as I, as I was reading the story, was Rodney King. <laughs> when, yeah, when absolutely. they were when they were kicking the crap out of Rodney King and the guy that was getting that video that we've all seen a million times, does that mean that the guy that was shooting the video would have also been getting a whoop a beat down? Or yeah, I mean potentially that's exactly what it is. Is that you know the police can now prosecute people that take pictures of them doing their job, and they, they say that the exception is uh, you know unless in a case where. As with TV news crews, it's obvious to all that recording is underway. And I don't know if that means there's some loophole in there where, you know, if you want to take a picture of the police, you have to just start yelling out, I'm, I'm photographing you, and, and make it obvious that they're, but it still doesn't make any sense. It actually went broader than just police. I mean, I, I think the, what we're seeing here is that it's saying, you know, look, they're, they're, they're many cases claiming wiretapping, and they're saying, you know, if you people yeah. aren't aware. I mean, in the past, you know, I, I had the benefit of going to journalism school. You know, as a journalist, we were always supposed to, you know, make sure that everybody knew you were recording at the start of an interview. You know, we're recording. Is it okay? I'm recording this. Um, but you never, you know, needed permission. You know, in the past, what this protection was is saying, oh, well, this couldn't be submitted as evidence unless, you know, both sides consented to recording. You mm-hmm. know, it didn't say you couldn't record it, that it was illegal to record, just that you couldn't, you know, be using it in a legal context. 
but it really seems to be pushing here. And this isn't really even the police doing this. This is just uh, the law enforcement system, sort of the next step beyond deciding that, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and say that, you know, if these recordings are being done, here's one more way for us to, you know, pursue another charge. It's one more thing to lump onto the case. Yeah, totally. And I agree with you, Ron, because it, it is a can of worms. Because I, the other thing I think about is how litigious we are in the United States. So now, if some guy that looks like he has a lot of money is out taking pictures and he happens to capture somebody in the photo that doesn't have a lot of money and they're recognizable, does that person, can that person say, hey, you took a picture of me, I'm suing you? You know? Or- yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, the particular case, one of them that's cited in this article here is the one about uh, this guy who's a, you know, a street peddler. He was sell, sells artwork on the street. Uh, and he was arrested for not having a license to do that. Fine. And and but what they ended up doing then, he recorded his arrest uh, for being you know arrested for selling that artwork on the street. Then they dropped the charges, uh, which was just a misdemeanor misdemeanor for the peddler's license thing. Uh, but they went ahead and charged him for this illegal recording, which is a class one felony, punishable by four to fifteen years in prison. So you know, but this guy that's selling his artwork on the street suddenly is looking at a potential fifteen-year prison term for doing it because he recorded the police, and it's you know it's very much just the police saying we don't want to be recorded. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, can you imagine that conversation in the jail cell? Hey, man, what are you in for? I yeah, took a, I took a picture. You know? Yeah, I mean, the the one in the one case here, the the guy in Chicago, uh, you know. This doesn't justify it, but he was definitely trying to get arrested. You know, for two months, he he sold his artwork and was recording it every time. So they were definitely taunting. He wanted to make a case out of, you know, thinking that these peddler license laws were ridiculous. So, you know, that it was too expensive. So they were trying to get force it to be a case issue. Now, the fact that legal department decided to pursue this and said, oh, well, we can't enforce these other laws. You know, this isn't worth our time, but we're going to go after this strange loophole here and try to claim, you know, 14 years in jail. It's insane, you know, over, you know, recording. I mean, you, in this country, you have a right to record. There is no constitutional right to privacy when you are in a public place. So that's what it sounds like that's being challenged though. Yeah, I think that's it. I I think that they are, they are literally stating that, uh, you know, by, by saying that all parties must consent to the recording. So does that mean that I can sue them for all those red light cameras? Because I That's didn't consent to have my awesome. you know, t- my license plate recorded yes. when I ran the red light. Uh, I, and, and I that love is, that. That's not yes. <laughs> no, that, that's the, the question that occurred to me, too, is that there, it sure feels like there is a flip side of this, of all this, uh, you know, government surveillance or, you know, local surveillance or whatever. Uh, and, you I'm know, sorry, we can't prosecute you, Mr. Bank robber, even though we clearly see you robbing someone mm-hmm. on the ATM camera. I guess you didn't consent to that recording. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. except in a situation like that, there's always signs that say you are being recorded. You walk into a bank and it'll say cameras are in use. You walk up to an ATM. So as a photographer, we just need a button that says I am recording. Yeah. Big <laughs> right. But you don't, you don't, there are no signs on the roads that says you, by using these public thoroughfares, you may be recorded for yeah, law there's enforcement plenty of times purposes. When, plenty of times when you're on the street where that recording is going on, too. You know, there's a lot of cameras that are looking out at you know, the entranceways to buildings and that sort of thing. Changing rooms everywhere. I mean, I, I think this is just such a gray area that, you know, we have a society where people are constantly recording. And for one group to just say, okay, we're going to use this as a loophole. And, and this isn't about police or law enforcement doing this. You know, this is such a, a rare instance of this happening. But I just can't think that as soon as this hits, forgive me for putting it this way, but a real court 
it's mm. not going to hold up. As soon as anybody with any budget whatsoever challenges this, you know, this is there's no way that this can hold up. I mean, I, I, and I think you're probably right too. But in the meantime, you've got to wonder how many people are going to get caught up in this sort of a scenario. Yeah, I just I have in, in my mind I have this like this this image of a scene. And each conversation we have about these photographer privacy or photography privacy issues, a little a little piece of the scene gets blacked out, you know. So it's like, okay, no government buildings, okay, okay, don't take pictures of public parks where kids are, okay, got that, okay, no police officers, okay. <laughs> Pretty soon, the only thing we'll be allowed to shoot are flowers and tombstones. Yeah, a boon in macro photography, right? <laughs> Jeez, Actually, I was thinking of going into cellular photography. Yeah. The cameras are becoming the new controlled substance. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I know. Well, Joseph, you just got back from China. Did you hit any any restrictions or or any turbulence over there when you were trying to photograph different things? No, not at all. And I carried my camera everywhere. Now, obviously, I didn't take it out and you know in the immigration or anything like that. But no, I didn't. And, and you're didn't walking really... around the streets, you know, like a tourist, just taking pictures of random yeah. things, and nobody yeah, nobody asked you for your papers. No, no, nothing like that. I was in yeah Shanghai and Beijing, and no, I had no problems like that. And uh, you know, last I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't do that much touring this time. I was pretty busy. But when I was in Beijing before during the Olympics, even then, I went to the Forbidden City and and areas like that. And there's guards and police everywhere. And I have pictures that I took, you know, standing right in front of the guards, pointing the camera right at them. They didn't have any problems with that. So, yeah, so interesting. I'm here in D.C., and you know it's about the highest level you can get to of paranoia and people with cameras. I mean, I remember immediately after September 11th happened, I was actually teaching at an art school, teaching photography and video classes. And you know, we would have students go out with cameras, and the amount of times our students were hassled and you know had to carry IDs and letters with them that they were enrolled in a program. Even you know, nine years later, paranoia still exists, and. It's it's just amazing, um, you know, what people think of these things. And it's just like, you know, what I typically do is I just stand my ground. And I've found that, you know, 99% of the time by standing my ground, it never goes more than one back and forth to where, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Feel free to call the police, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 Well, it's it's unfortunate. We'll, we'll we had, you know whip we'll keep an eye on this but keep, speaking of keeping an eye on things i know one thing that's happening right now while we'll, while we're recording the show is apple is announcing the new iphone live or they've announced it already apparently um, and it's got some pretty, camera yeah it's got some pretty pretty stellar features for people that want to shoot video and still photography now I've, i personally have have purposely not looked at any news because I want to I want to have a cup of coffee and and bring it all in at the same time. But I know you guys have Joseph. I know you're looking at it or, or following it, and I, at least you, um, Richard, have looked at it. You guys, what what's the big thing for photographers that uh, that this new camera or this new phone has? I think the screen, the potential for what this screen is, is amazing. It's this super high resolution to screen. Um, they're calling it a retina display. I, I'm curious to know if this is something that we just haven't heard of before, if this is an Apple marketing term that they've added to it. But what is the specs that I'm seeing here? 326 PPI, and the human eye can only distinguish 300 PPI. Uh, what did it say? 78% of the pixels on the iPad are now on the iPhone. So all oh, that's interesting enough for the iPhone. Imagine what that means for the next rev of the iPad. Having a screen like that, you think your pictures already look good on there wow. now. Imagine showing your photographs on a screen that high res. It's just going to look phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's quadruple the resolution, and uh, you know, like you said, you get to the point where you really can't distinguish it. So you can have extremely crisp text, and you know, the reading experience gets to be a lot better. 
Uh, it's supposed to be a very bright display as well. So that's pretty interesting. And then the, the camera is new as well. Uh, What's and, new about and, that? Well, the thing that really caught my eye, I mean, it's a 5-megapixel camera, which is good, but um, they, it's also one of the newer technologies, uh, what's being called the, the backlit sensor. Uh, Sony's been selling this, and actually Apple had a different term, back, back illuminated, something like that. But effectively, the, the technology is that a lot of these sensors that you have nowadays uh, are still have a lot of electronics on the front of the sensor. So between the photo sites, there's, there's spaces that have to be there for uh, the electronics to kind of fit in there, and the light ends up passing through some electronics or going around it. And so these, these back illuminated sensors effectively move all of the electronics to the back of it so that it can just gather more light net net bottom line is that in theory at least uh what it gives you is a much better low light capability you can you can capture more photons so it's interesting because that between that and then they did put an led uh flash uh it's a, it's a continuous on kind of thing if you're shooting video uh on there so it seems like the low light and indoor kind of shooting capabilities will be vastly improved for this and with five, I mean, five megapixels too, and uh, 720p for at 30 frames a second. So, as Ron was saying, you can leave that light on and record. I'm assuming that means it could also, you know, function as a flashlight or, or other things to that nature. So, I mean, it looks it looks like a definite improvement. And uh, what I was trying to make sense of is, you know, all the different things. You know, that actually now has um, basically iMovie on there for doing basic video editing. What I would love to see is a little more capacity to actually edit the pictures. One of the things, having played a little bit with the new iPhone OS, is it is nice that you can at least, while it's still a digital zoom, I know we've all taken phone pictures before where you know you get tired of walking in and out and in and out just to change composition. You can now do a zoom right from the camera. Still, it's just digital, but it's nice to have that framing ability and uh, be nice to see a little bit more editing capacity pop up into the camera too. Like what kind of editing capacity? Because there's, there's a ton of third-party apps out there that, that do all kinds of editing. What, what would you like to see native from the phone? Well, one of the things that already exists, I, I, I've had the chance to play with the new OS, is the ability when you now send the picture, it actually prompts you to choose what resolution you want to attach. Mm-hmm. So you've got uh, the ability to say, send a full res file with this email or send a smaller file you know, and actually choose which size. It gives you several to choose from. It would be nice to have uh, you know, within the camera, while it's nice to have the zoom capacity and now have the flash, it'd be nice to have some sort of brightness ability to sort of you know, pull it up or down, even if it is just, you know, push you know manipulating the sensor it'd be still nice to have that basic control right there yeah did they do you do you guys know if they announce anything that will make transferring the images from the phone to an ipad easier like bluetoothing like or wirelessly doing them through wi-fi or something or is it still the camera connection kit uh right now they are just talking about some of the new networking stuff so i'm not sure it might be covered in that i haven't seen anything yet okay all right. Well, you know, we're we're right on top of it. Live podcasting, if that's, if that's such a thing. Um, I, all I want to know, honestly, is when. That's all, that's all I need. Yeah, they, they haven't announced yeah, that. They haven't said that yet. I know. When when although, do I go stand in line? You know? Although I've, the little bits that you've seen from AT&T and all those rumors that actually are, aren't exactly rumors, but things like memos saying you can't take vacation point to that it's coming out this month. Yeah, good. Good, because my... my Mine broke, and I knew <laughs> did yours break, or did you conveniently leave it in the path of a car? It, no, I left it. I let gravity grab it when I was in a Starbucks. And uh, porcelain and glass don't mix. Let's just say. That. <laughs> so I'm in need of a new iPhone. Strategically, yeah. all right, guys. Uh, next story. Uh, this one is a very serious one, of course, and this is all about BP 
and the Gulf oil spill, uh, more specifically BP's photo blockade. Uh, let me read this, uh, this little excerpt. Basically they're saying, uh, News photographers are complaining that their efforts to document the slow motion disaster in the Gulf of Mexico are being thwarted by local and federal officials working with BP who are blocking access to the sites where the effects of the spill are most visible. So uh, basically it sounds like PR or the BP and federal officials are doing the PR thing and trying to keep photographers and their prying lenses away from this thing and ostensibly people that would be looking at their images away from looking at what's happening. Um, you know, Richard, I want to throw it at you first. What do you, what do you think about this? And that have so many directions that this could go in, but just give me your initial thoughts about what you, you know, blocking photographers access to the spill. Well, I understand why it's happening. I mean, think about the area we're talking about. This is primarily driven by tourism. You know, this type of area is widely affected by tourism, beaches down there, all sorts of things. And so the amount of pressure that these governments are under to put a good face on things and to minimize the PR disaster. Now, that doesn't make it right. But, you know, I think what you're having happen here, and I've worked a lot with the Red Cross as a client through the years. The amount of disinformation and misinformation that starts happening during a disaster is huge. So I'm sure that everybody is using every single opportunity they have to try to prevent people, you know, or put a positive spin on things and block information. I don't think there's been some, you know, major high up government level saying let's hide this because obviously the American public knows about it. But there definitely seems to be a lot of opportunity where people are taking it upon themselves to say, oh, well, you know, that's not really safe for you to go there. And I think people are using, you know, I think that PR and money is winning out over the law here. Yeah. Joseph, yeah. Where, where do you, uh, go ahead, Ron. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of that going on, but it, it is worth mentioning that a lot of times you, you do have to be careful about lots of people thronging to certain locations, wanting to take pictures and not knowing you know, which of these are, are legitimate news agencies, which are these just people that want to get some cool pictures. Where do you draw that line? You know, there are safety considerations. So, uh, but should there be a line, though? I mean, it's, it's all of our planet. You know, who's to say that who, yeah, can, but, you who know, can take pictures of the disaster that's going to affect the entire planet? Well, well they're, not, they're not saying you can't stand on the shore and take a picture. What they're getting at is that, you know, it, it's like, for example, a fire. So if you went up to a burning building and you said, well, I'm willing to accept the risk. I want to go in there and take pictures. They're still not going to let you into the burning building. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think that you know what you've got here. It's just like wartime photography. You know, in the past, you know, government allowed to a certain extent journalists to go out and take pictures of the war. And you know, if you look at like coverage during Vietnam, you know, vast majority of it was not favorable. Nowadays, what you're seeing is that you know we've found the excuse, and the excuse is safety. Uh, to apply better control. And, you know, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that, you know, what we have here is, you know, 50% the right idea and 50% people with money and power, you know, taking advantage of a situation to, you know, keep stock prices from going even lower. Exactly. Because if you contrast this with, you know, say another disaster, uh, well, I don't know if you can even call it a disaster, but the Icelandic volcano, right? Um, that I don't remember, I don't recall any stories about photographers being barred from going up there to take pictures of it, you know, because why? Because there's no monetary gain from lava flowing all over the place or the dust cloud or any of that stuff. I mean, but 
this one, there's all these stories about, you know, the, the one company that's responsible for it, barring people from it. So, But, I mean, how does, how does a company like BP, how, how can they say you can't go take pictures of this? You know, I, I don't quite understand... Well, so what's have, like, is the airspace said, restricted, or you know? But it says well, here they're working with the federal officials, right? So yeah. the the police, the government is helping them to do that, and they're the ones who are, you know, they have the power. Right? BEP does not have the power to block you from going into public land, but of course the government does. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think it is based off the premise of safety. I can't imagine at this point that their PR could possibly get any worse, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's how, very, how they yeah, that's true. That? Yeah, yeah, and that, that's kind of why I. I I'm sure some of this is going on, but I suspect a lot of it is more, uh, you know, local officials just not wanting to deal with a whole lot of extra people coming into certain locations. I'm not saying that's, that's all that's going on, and there probably is some more nefarious stuff going on, but I think there's probably a lot of good faith efforts to just kind of try and focus on the problem uh, and well, not I, exacerbate I, it by having more people wading into it. I think that you could tie this back to your earlier comment about being in a litigious society. I mean, at what point, you know, do I become as a photographer or as a journalist, you know, incapable of signing a waiver saying, I know I'm putting myself in potential harm. I accept these risks. I choose to go into this dangerous area and I hold you harmless. I am inserting myself into this situation. It's like we have that right. You know, you have the right if you decide you want to climb up to the top of a tree with no safety harness and take a picture to do that. You know, why will they not accept that? You know, we have journalists who routinely put themselves in harm way. You know, but now, you know, oh, well, we're protecting you, you know, but yeah. I don't want to be protected. It's my job to get the picture. I accept those risks. You know, so I think that what we have here is, you know, people uh, thinking for us or trying to protect us, you know, and not accepting that that's one of our choices is well, to put ourselves government. at risk. Well, government's been doing that for, for eons, right? You know, doing passing laws under the auspices of this is for your own good because you're, you don't know what's good for you, so I'm going to do it for you. But to take a little bit of a contrary view, I mean, it's fine to say I accept the risks of doing this, but, you know, if you get everybody doing that, somebody's going to do something stupid. Somebody's going to have to send out a rescue team. Those people are then in danger. So it's not entirely a matter of saying I'm willing to take these risks on myself because it does affect other people. And, you know, other people, rescue workers have been killed trying to save people who went too far. Mm-hmm. Going a little bit, but following the trail on the articles that were there, and, and you know, I know you're going to be posting the links, I followed some of the other linked articles, and what we had is, is and I'm, again, you know, it doesn't take that many stupid people to ruin something, but you know, instances clearly where they're like, oh, well, are there any press with you? Oh, well, then you guys can't come in. Like, you know, situations where groups were underway and when they figured out someone was pressed, they turned them around and sent them away. It's like, okay, you know, clearly somebody is, you know, overstretching their limits here. I don't think it's, you know, some big nefarious plot because you can't hide it. You know, everyone knows what's going on, although most people choose to be ignorant and would rather focus on, you know, a murder or some sort of scandalous celebrity news than the fact that, okay, you know. Our government failed to do its job of, you know, properly oversighting something here. And, you know, clearly we had a failure of the system. Okay, let's block that and hide the information. My favorite story I saw coming out was BP officials announced that most of the oil is being successfully recaptured. Okay, does most mean 51% or what are we talking about here? Only one trillion barrels are floating around. This is interesting. I'm digging through the stories here and apparently CBS – the news crew from CBS was threatened with arrest, and they were told by uh, by the police that these are BP's rules, not ours. Right. Now, how does that work? So Because the British private. Petroleum Company has the rights over American soil. 
Jeez. Yeah, that's that's this is really contrary to what we've just been saying, though, because this is not a security thing, and this is not the government saying, no, we don't want you in here. The government is saying, well, this is a private company that's saying you can't go onto public land and photograph what they're doing. That's There's something really wrong there. Yeah, yeah but, see, but what is public? You know, some of this land can be licensed. You know, they could be saying, okay, well, we've got control of these waters. The deep water, sure, I buy that. But you know, they've they've leased the rights to that area from the government or whatever it may be. But we're talking beaches here. People who want to go shoot on the beaches. Yeah. What? So where? You know, just not to not to go too far off the photography rails, but at what point does does our government interject and take control over the situation and say that you know, hey, BP, you are we're we're taking over this and you work for us now and you know, or do we want that, Richard? What do you think about that? Is it is it time for that or is it, you know, do we just let it continue to flow and BP try to you know try to seal it the best way they know how? I think what you're seeing here is you know we faced this before. We've had environmental catastrophes like this and. Um, you know, taking it back to photography and the press for a moment, I, I think, you know, I'm, I used to be a journalist. I guess in some ways I'm still a journalist. Uh, what has happened here is that we've evolved into a society where I would say 95% of the efforts of journalism have, you know, gone to focusing on celebrity news and tech news and business news and not, you know, not the sort of watchdog stuff that's supposed to happen. And so, you know, we keep having this cycle over and over again of, Oh my gosh, the government failed to do its job. Well, you know, as photographers, as journalists, you know, many of us are failing to do our jobs of raising awareness of this. And, you know, the society's failed to do its job of, you know, actually caring about something that isn't celebrity news. And so, you know, I don't think it's right to say, oh, well, the government has to swoop in and fix all of this. I think, you know, government should be keeping an eye on it as it goes. You know, if you're going to be doing something with natural resources that belong to the people, it should be, you know, have oversight as it goes along and that, you know, photographers and journalists should be doing their jobs as well. It's really sad how far news has fallen. Yeah. Well, speaking of how far news has fallen, one other thing on this story I wanted to put out to you guys. Um, just uh, and we talked about this on several shows ago back when hurricane katrina was was or not hurricane katrina but the when haiti was uh when all that news was happening um and i think the the uh the context of what we were talking about was how is it right for photographers to go down there and shoot it just to say that they're shooting and um to be, to capitalize on the situation or where where do you draw the line of capitalizing on a situation as a photographer you know, and so I'm looking at this one and I'm thinking, yeah, I want people to shoot it, but are they going out there just, just to say that, Hey, I, I, I shot this thing or does it matter? Joseph, what do you think? I mean, would you, as a photographer, do you feel a tug at your camera strap to go out there and, and shoot the oil spill or, or how do you feel about it? I will, the oil spill, not specifically, but definitely other natural disasters I do because I think that the, the images that you get from, uh, from a, something like a Katrina or a, a Haiti event are very powerful. And considering that a big part of what people need is donations, you know, the Red Cross and all these other organizations that are looking for donations to come in, mm -hmm. those images are very powerful at drawing that in. And the big thing is it needs to be ongoing, right? Because you hear about these events and they happen and they dominate the news for a few weeks or a month or whatever and people are pouring in money. But then the images stop flowing because it becomes old news. But the people on the ground are still being affected by it and they still need the help. And I think that if photographers make an effort to keep going in, keep going back, continuing to tell the story, I think that's a pretty powerful thing. I mean, Vincent Lafrey did a thing 
in Katrina where he went back a year later and did a big story about it a year later. And it was just appalling to see how bad it still was one year later. And, and most people aren't telling the story. And what most people don't realize in that case, I've, I've actually worked with the Red Cross a lot as a client in the past. And um, when a disaster like that hits, they're using up the money they already have. So like when a disaster hits, a lot of the money that keeps coming in, you know, they've already been helping people on the ground. If they had to wait for all the donations to come in before they started helping people, they couldn't. So, you know, these sort of things add up. But even just, you know, continually documenting a record, I, I think, you know, you're hitting part of it, Frederick. You know, we don't just want people saying, well, let's just pat our resume by going in there. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, you do have an obligation. Like if I'm there and I see that somebody's hurt, you know, if it's a choice of get the shot or save a life, I'm going to choose save a life. But if it's a choice between, you know, show something that makes someone uncomfortable and document a tragedy that's happened or, you know, go for good PR, I'm going to show the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Ron? What do you what do you think about all this? I mean, do you do you feel a tug at your camera strap to get out there? I don't think we'd be photographers if we didn't have the desire to go out and take photos of of you know, news of things that are happening in the world around us, and they're not necessarily newsworthy stuff all the time. But you wouldn't be photojournalists, you mean? Because not all photographers want to shoot that stuff. Like, if no, but I I think any photographer is interested in capturing some piece of the world around them, and I can't imagine there's too many photographers that wouldn't want to get you know something like this on film or you know on, on digital sure. to go out there and, and shoot it uh, you know it's i'm not saying everybody should but mm -hmm. i can certainly understand i i really suspect very few photographers don't feel a a, a tug to go do it you've just got to be sensible about it but you know if this was happening uh on on my beach down here yeah i'd be down there right away and wanting to tell everybody about it and, and show what i was seeing yeah you know for this episode i feel like we should be playing prince's controversy <laughs> background <laughs> yeah, and you follow up the side of the times right <laughs> yeah exactly because everything everything is controversial um uh this next story uh is more controversy a photographer is suing the afp and that's the if i can pronounce this correctly the agency france press presse um is suing a photographer that it stole images from so there's <laughs> because there's, he complained too loudly there there it's like you you hit somebody because you were texting and then you sue them because they made you mess up the text message <laughs> <laughs> so so joseph i know you you read through this and you have some thoughts on this story what, what do you think about this well yeah, first of all define the story for us okay it seems pretty bad it seems like basically from what i gathered the photographer was on the ground when an earthquake hit and he was the first one to in port-au-prince and he was the first one to capture images and managed to get 13 high res images up onto Twitter from some random hotel that managed to still have internet access. So him just got up there. I guess he tweeted them. Someone else tweeted them as well, like retweeted it, but claimed the pictures as their own. And then the AFP went and took those images from Twitter, posted them, distributed them through Getty, put them all over the wire, and the photo credit went to the guy who said that he took the pictures, not to the actual photographer. And... When this guy, when this photographer sent out a cease and desist, they did. But, of course, by then the damage had already been done. And now he's suing for some undisclosed amount. And I guess he's said some pretty slanderous things about the AFP. And so they're suing, they're suing him for uh, for that. So, you know, it sounds fabulous. It's ugly. You sue me, I'll sue you. Yeah, it's the same old thing. And then they'll settle out of court. Somebody will get some money and it's all over. Yeah, it's pretty messy. I think the interesting thing is that uh, the AFP is claiming that because he posted some of this on Twitter, the terms and conditions of Twitter... Uh, seem to dictate that these images should be considered public as soon as they are put onto Twitter. 
Uh, and so they would have a right to grab them and republish them. And it's an interesting question uh, whether that is the case. It's certainly something for us as photographers to be aware of is that many times if you put something on uh, on the web or any sort of public display scenario like that, you may have agreed to terms and conditions. And I know, I mean, I'm certainly guilty of just clicking through those uh, terms and conditions quite often. So be well, aware not- of it, though. I mean, you bring up a good point there. You definitely need to read the terms or conditions here. And, and I mean, I have a second case example that I, I want to follow up with. I mean, in this case, when you read the Twitter terms of service, and I paste it into the show notes, they clearly say this license is you authoring us to make your tweets available to the rest of the world and to let others do the same. But what's yours is yours. You own your content. So, I mean, that's right in the terms of service. So Twitter is, you know, what they're saying is, is, hey, if you put it into Twitter, and obviously he had to use a third-party helper app because Twitter doesn't natively support photos in the feed. So, you know, who knows what that third-party app uh, terms of service was. You know, this isn't really Twitter here. But regardless, Twitter's saying, if you put it onto Twitter, Twitter feeds show up all over the place, and you're giving permission for that to happening. But it's still your stuff. That's Twitter. On the other hand, YouTube uh, clearly states if you put it on here, we have the right to sell it and make money and we won't pay you anything. We had a a friend in D.C. who shot a time lapse of the huge snowstorm this past winter when we had, you know, what was it, like six feet of snow in two days. And he shot a time lapse of it and it was on ABC National News and he didn't get a credit. In fact, YouTube got paid. Not only did he not get credited, he didn't get any of the money. And that's right in the t- YouTube terms of service, like that they have the right to relicense anything that you put up there without your permission, without paying you anything. Anything so, you put up there, they can relicense and sell it. Yes. Wow. And so Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, Twitter's terms of service, in my opinion, is pretty good. I mean, you know, they're just saying, look, if you put it in our feed, our feed goes in a lot of places. We can't control that. But they say right in there, it's still yours. You own it. But, you know, so, yeah, on the, at, at the defense of YouTube, you, they're owned by Google, and Google has already said that they will do no evil. So it's okay. Yeah, and we all <laughs> believe that, yeah. <laughs> so I think in this case, you know, Ron hit it right. you got to read the terms of service. And for most folks, most of the social media sites are a pretty bad idea if you're that concerned about copyright. Um, you know, I wouldn't be putting up high-res pictures. You know, just because, you know, his defense that, oh, well, you know, New York Times and these other people offered to pay me to use my images. Well, that's fine. You know, and that's because those are credible news agencies that have long history and, you know, and have a lot to lose by doing something shady. Um, I, I think, you know, the case here is that, you know, he could be completely in the right that his stuff was stolen and taken and used improperly. But if he called them, you know, slimy SOBs, he can be sued for saying those things. Yeah. Love this stuff. It's crazy. All right, uh, let's let's move right along, guys. Um, this next one uh, is pretty interesting. I gotta I gotta chalk this up. I have some some certain opinions about this. Um, Photo mechanic. Uh, they wrote an open letter to their customers um, and their president. Before you switch, Frederick, would yeah, you like me it. to tell you the release date because they just announced it? Yes. For what? The release date for what? The iPhone. <laughs> okay. What is it? June twenty fourth. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get one early as long as you sign it to your contract. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, AT&T. <laughs> uh, okay, June 24th. Sorry. Got it. Sorry. Um, but this, is a, this, is, this other story is about another iDevice, the iPad, and Photo Mechanic. So basically, uh, Photo Mechanic, their president, Dennis Walker, 
um, said his company can't create an iPad version of their popular photo browsing and captioning application um, because of uh, the limitations of the device's hardware, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at this and, you know, everyone knows we, you know, most of us on the show use either um, Aperture or Lightroom or at least Bridge. So I look at this story and I'm kind of like, okay, Photo Mechanic is not going to be available for my iPad. That's kind of like General Electric telling me that my refrigerator will not work on my iPad. (laughs) It's like, I don't don't know. I mean, Ron, I know you probably have a different opinion on this. What do do you think? No, I mean, I'm not familiar with Photo Mechanic, like you said. It's not a tool I use, so this this doesn't really affect me that much. I mean, it's an interesting... There's a lot of folks who use it. Yeah, and I guess I don't know what specific features uh, are not on the iPad that that they feel like they're missing that they can't produce an app. But I, I'm assuming it's some somewhere something to do with the hardware connectivity or something. Well, the, yeah. the, with the connection right now, you've got an SD card slot, or you've got a um, SD uh, SD card or a USB cable. And you know what they're saying is okay. Well, if you plug in a card reader into that uh, USB reader, uh, you can't pull stuff off. Well, that's because the card reader is not charged. You know, like you'd have to have external power for it. It's not going to power the device. Um, you know, I found just the other day, like I needed to get some images on the iPad. All I did was pop the SD card into my Mac, named a folder DCIM. And when I plugged it into the iPad, it saw it. It wasn't oh. like it had to run through a camera. I just had to name the folder DCIM, and it went, oh, that's a camera memory folder. <laughs> it knew. <laughs> and there were all the images. That, you know? that, that artificial up. intelligence is amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like if that's all it was looking for, because it, I kept getting an error. I kept getting an error. I had some JPEGs. We were, we were at a family funeral, and we had some pictures to load up, and we were using a bunch of iPads as uh, photo frames around the around the service, hmm. um, just for when people were waiting to look at pictures. And, you know, we put them all, just put them into a, use the SD card, name the folder DCIM, hit import, and it came in. Um, you know, the thing is, is that as long as you save the picture with the preview, which most cameras do, where you have the option, if there is a thumbnail, then you do get a thumbnail. I, I think the big complaint is, is that you don't see file names, you just see pictures. So, you know, it's kind of hard when you're using the browser, you know, to decide what you want to pull in. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Ron, you, you have an iPad. Do you have your you have your camera connection kit already? I, I, I do not have an iPad yet. You wait a minute, you don't oh. have an iPad yet. Oh no. you you're still using your Kindle, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's that reading, working out for you? I'm still reading paper books. <laughs> That's right, I forgot. You're the, the dead tree guy. You're gonna yes, be the, exactly. Yeah, when, no, when, have, the, when yeah. the neutron bomb hits and, and or or what yeah. is it? No, the the EMP. When the EMP hits and we have no more electronic gear, Ron will be laughing. <laughs> That's right. I'll still be Except reading. Then, then I'll be like to burn for fire. Yeah. I'll be like Bur- Burgess <laughs> Meredith in that Twilight Zone episode where my glasses will break and I won't be able to see Exactly. <laughs> now, I actually I could see why people would want Photo Mechanic on the iPad. I know that a lot of journalists do use Photo Mechanic because it's fast. When what your job is is to get the pictures off the camera, pick the ones that you need, and get them up on the wire as quickly as possible. Uh, Photo Mechanic is still often the the tool of choice. It's just extremely fast. So if you can, have, can't you do that with the, with the with the uh, built-in iPad photo manipulation features? Well, I think that what people want is faster. And then there's the captioning and, of course, the copyright information, right? You, you don't have any of that on the built-in iPad thing. So right. if you plugged in your camera or your card, you pulled off a couple of pictures, you couldn't embed any metadata in them before sending them off. So if you're talking you about – the camera. You have to do it – well, right, but you – I mean you couldn't do your full captioning and everything else on the camera. No. 
Right. You so if you're stuff. if you're a journalist and you your objective objective is to get the images up on the wire ASAP, I could totally see why you'd want to have your camera and an iPad, a 3G iPad, where you could plug in, you know, plug the two together and pull the pictures off the camera that you want, caption, put in your metadata, your copyright and everything else, and email them or, or upload them, whatever, directly from the iPad from anywhere. Sure. That could be pretty cool. That could be very cool. But I, so, think, I think that's people wanting a device to do what the device isn't intended for. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, last year I was in Croatia and Europe for three weeks, and I had a MacBook Air, and I had Aperture on it and you know, a couple external USB hard drives. I did a referenced library, just kept everything on the external drives. I did captioning. I was posting pictures as I went. You know, it's like if you want full feature, you may need, you know, you may need an actual keyboard. You may need a mouse. Yeah. You may want a couple of things. You know, the, the iPad is a great device with a wonderful battery life, but no one is saying, you know, this is intended to be, at least at this point, oh, look, I'm running Photoshop on the iPad. Right. You know? No one named There's- it the Rosetta Pad, right? It's the iPad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well. All right, guys, let's take another quick pause to give a nod to our other sponsor, Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. And they, as we mentioned in a couple of shows back, they announced a new feature called Social Widgets. And they have a Twitter widget that allows you to add multiple accounts, filter by keyword, and customize the look and feel of your design. They've got a native Flickr widget, so you can plug in your This Week in Photography Flickr group into your website. Um, and it allows you to have multiple accounts, varied layouts, et cetera, and a native RSS widget that allows you to pull in feeds from any site on the web and incorporate them into your website. Of course, as long as you have permission from that other website. Um, so lots of other stuff in there. Uh, Squarespace uh, essentially is just, it's its an easy tool that allows you to build a WYSIWYG kind of uh, hosted website with next generation UI to get get your uh, get a gorgeous looking website or blog up and going really quickly, you get in there and you're done. I know Joseph loves his and uh, scorns anybody that's using anything other than Squarespace <laughs> <laughs> because his what is it? What's your URL, Joseph? Aperture Expert. There you go, ApertureExpert.com. Yeah, all driven on Squarespace memberships, everything. It's fantastic. Yeah, and as is Twiplog, Twiplog.com is running on Squarespace.com. So if you'd like to try it out, you can get a free trial. Head over to Squarespace.com forward slash Twip. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out, build your own website or blog, and if you decide that you like it, you'll get 10% off when you enter the offer code TWIP. That's Squarespace.com forward slash Twip. And now let's jump into an interview with uh, with a guest that we had on the show about 18 months ago, I think it was. Uh, David Dushiman uh, is a photographer out of Canada who travels the globe taking photos. And what's interesting about this interview is David has also launched a small publishing company called Craft and Vision where he's he's pumping out ebooks on photography and and selling them quite briskly. So this is a this is a pretty interesting conversation. First half is about David and his travels and the second half is about uh ebook publishing in the state of the industry. I'm here with a good friend of mine, David Dushiman. He's uh a photographer that's based up north in that northern state, Canada. <laughs> And uh, he very rarely spends any time there because he's always running around the globe, uh, taking amazing photos and writing and doing all kinds of amazing things and sharing it. And uh, David has agreed to come back on This Week in Photography to chat with us about what he's been up to for the last, what, six months or so since the last time I, I spoke with him. So welcome back to the show, David. Thanks, man. It's good to be here again. 
good to have you here. All right. Well, so what, it, like I said, six months, we haven't talked in forever. The occasional tweet, direct message, email, whatever, but you've been busy. You know, you have been, you're building a publishing empire. You're sh- taking photos around the globe and beyond. What have you been up to? Uh, well, that, <laughs> that about says it. And, and <laughs> though our, our tweets have been few and far between, I should let you know that that's about all my friends get these days. So uh, don't take it personally. I will. Um, it's been busy, man. It's, um, I've been telling people recently that if a publisher ever comes and asks you to, you know, to, to release three books in the period of one year, you should, should poke them in the eye and run like hell in the other direction. <laughs> um, but it's been really good. You know, I'm just a like tomorrow, what is today? Today's, uh, I don't know, whatever. This week we're sending uh, the third book in, in the uh, the Vision Trilogy off to the press, and it'll be released uh, early to mid-July to the to the public. So that'll be the third book in just over a year. Uh, Within the Frame came out uh, middle of May last year, and then Vision Mongers came out in November, and then this third book, Vision and Voice, comes out in, uh, comes out in a few weeks. Um or at least will be printed and, and on its way to the public in a few weeks. So that's kind of been the big thing. And then there's been the eBooks and just, you know, and then still shooting for assi- uh, assignments for clients and trying to keep my edge and, you know. So, okay. So I wanted, I wanted to, to split this in this interview into kind of two parts. First part is photography and what you've been up to. And, you know, there's a, I've been reading your eBooks and I, I love the way they're written. They're very easy to consume and you are a very eloquent writer. So congratulations on that. And then the, the, so the photography pieces is, you know, I want to talk about photography and the ebook. So let's start off with the, with photography in general. Sure. Um, you, you, your philosophy towards sort of interjecting yourself into strange environments and capturing what's there. You want to just talk about, and you talked about that in the last interview, but has anything changed in terms of how you approach shooting folks in these exotic locales? I, I don't think it's changed. Um, I, I have spent really the last uh, four years predominantly shooting in places like uh, Africa and uh, Southeast Asia and Indian subcontinent. And um, I think the one thing that's changed is I did a workshop uh, just a, a couple months ago or last month. I don't even know what month it is anymore. It's June. So yeah, it was a couple of months ago. And uh, I spent uh, I spent three, almost four weeks in Italy and that's been the first time I've shot kind of in the first world, so-called, uh, for quite a while in any kind of intentional fashion. And I had an absolute blast. I really, really had a good time and found the portraiture work uh, harder than I normally do and was pushed into some other areas, you know, photographing mm-hmm. uh, more candid street photography and, and landscapes of all things, which has been the last thing I ever thought I would enjoy photographing. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, my eye gets drawn to different things in different places. And, you know, when you're in a place that's as beautiful as Italy, um, your eye gets pulled to, to certain things. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of flexing some creative muscle and always learning new stuff. I think that's important that you're always kind of not allowing your, you know, your marketing niche to, to become kind of a creative rut where you just, you're always doing that one thing, you know? So I'm trying new things and yeah, but yeah, my approach has remained the same. I think I'm a curious person. I like to see the world and photograph it. And, and when something kind of pulls my eye or pulls my heart, I go and see what it's all about and, so you're yeah. you're stretching into into landscape photography because I know you're looking at like within the frame for example you're it's uh, it's very much uh, photojournalistic travel photography type feel to it you know sort of transporting people to the location where you were at that time so now you're 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 getting the bug to to put on that wide angle lens well 
I mean, I'd be careful about saying that I'm getting into landscape photography. I think that does a disservice to actual landscape photographers <laughs> because, quite frankly, I, I can't get up as early as they do. And I sure as heck I'm not going to carry around the kind of tripods that they do. But, you know, I, there's there's something you can learn from every discipline. And I think even if you never intend to shoot a wedding, um, you can learn something from wedding photographers. And if you never intend to shoot landscapes, you can learn something from their discipline and the way they handle light and time and, and that sort of thing and, and composition. And so um, I love photographing people, places, and cultures. And there are some places that are uh, that are better photographed as a landscape photographer. And even if I never become... Um, you know, really fluent in that particular discipline, I can take what I've learned in shooting landscapes and using polarizers and ND filters and that sort of thing. And I can apply it to urban landscapes or I can apply it to, you know, you name it. I mean, every skill that you learn in this craft is transferable. And I think we do ourselves a disservice by assuming that just because we're a portrait photographer, that's all we should ever shoot. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in shooting macro when you're not getting paid by clients, go shoot macros, go shoot, you know, go shoot this and buy a whole guy, do, you know. So right now I'm kind of tinkering with some landscapes when I have the opportunity. And actually, I'm quite enjoying it. I'm really enjoying learning about light and especially stuff, uh, you know, kind of toward the end of the day, you know, when things get really blue. And so I shot in Venice for a week after our uh, our workshop participants had all gone home and I did this personal project and I just had an absolute blast. It was raining, rained the whole time I was there and I gave myself con- some constraints and I shot almost entirely in the rain and almost entirely once the sun kind of dipped below the horizon and I just had a ball. I all really, right. re- really enjoyed it. I know that one of the questions that's probably popping up on a lot of people's minds is, okay, shooting in the rain, how do you do that without destroying your gear? What, what did you do? How did you? My trick is to use a, a big... Uh, sandwich bag kind of Ziploc thing and stick it on there and make a hole for your lens through it. How do you do it? You know what? There's, there's, uh, there's even better. There's this new thing they came out with. Uh, They call it, um, what do they call it? Uh, An umbrella. And uh, (laughs) so it turns out it's a handheld device and you can only have two hands, David. Come on. You, you only need one hand to hold the camera. Oh, you autofocusing? Is that what it is? Um, uh, well, I, okay. No, I've got a tripod. I oh, mean, right. you know, okay. I, most of this stuff, I mean, it's raining, it's dark. I'm shooting at a, a deeper um, aperture and I've, you know, usually trying to get some time exposure stuff. So, no, I mean, and, and the times that it's not on a tripod, I just kind of fumble around and hold the hold the umbrella shaft like a cell phone, you know, clutch it between my ear and my neck. And, yeah. Um, I, I can't stand those bags. I've got a you know hundred dollar Kata bag that goes over my camera. It drives me absolutely insane. By the time I get the damn thing on, the the photograph's long gone, and I just I can't operate with it. So I've I've thrown bags over it. I've done this and that, but really the easiest thing is just you know what, just carry an umbrella. I mean, yeah. it's not rocket scientists uh, science. Everyone's looking for these you know really high tech solutions. Just, yeah, and these you know digital SLRs are amazingly resilient anyway. It's a, it's amazing how wet they can get and they they're still okay. Not that I recommend dunking them, but they're they're designed for photojournalists that are running around the desert and in in rainforests and running through mud and to be okay without any protection. So Yeah, I mean I shot with my 5D Mark II for most of the the stuff I was doing. I left my 1DS Mark III at home, which would have handled the rain just perfectly. But it was fine. I mean, I carry I carry a little travel towel with me, and every chance I get, I I wipe the thing off. The biggest challenge, actually, I don't. Frankly, I don't care that much about my cameras. They're going to die eventually. Yep. I don't. I don't try to. You know, I don't tempt fate on that. But um, the biggest thing is just keeping your the front of your lens dry. So I just use the biggest lens hood I can find, and you know, try it. Because of course, as soon as it gets wet, you get funny splodges, and it mm-hmm. just looks it looks goofy. But um, 
Um, that's the biggest challenge. I don't mind getting wet. Once in a while, you duck into a coffee shop. It's Italy, right? So I ducked into a coffee shop every 15 minutes and caffeinated myself. And, and keep oh, going. I, I could keep going forever if I keep that pace up. That's awesome. All right. Well, here, here's another question for you. I don't know if the, the launch of the iPad what, coincided with any of your stays back in North America, but did you... Were you able to use the iPad in any of your your journeys, like using the camera connection kit to import photos and do culling in those internet cafes or anything like that? Do you know what? I um, I did get it. A buddy of mine, uh, my friend Jeffrey Chapman, who ran the Italy workshops with me, he uh, he brought one from New York. I'm in Canada, so actually our release on the iPad was only a, a few days ago. Um, but I got mine almost as soon as it came out. Jeffrey brought it to Italy with me, and um, one of the guys had a camera connector kit, and I, I looked at it. The difficulty is it seems like on the iPad there's no, there's nothing you can really edit collections or albums with, uh, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you can pull them up and you can look at them, uh, and there's even some applications where you can do some basic kind of adjustments and, and editing that way, but I haven't found anything where I could actually create an album just on the iPad and go, okay, I want this one, I want this one, I don't want this one, which would have been really helpful, but where I found it really useful was in kind of teaching and sharing. I think the iPad is going to change the way we share photographs. To be able to you know, just whip this thing out of your camera bag at dinner and pass it around, it's so different than a laptop. You can hold it in one hand, you can flick it back and forth. There's not that goofy clamshell thing with a like with a laptop. And yeah. So that's where I really found it. It was quite amazing was the ability to share photographs. One of the guys had a camera connector kit and that, that was pretty amazing too. But, you know, I can shoot 16 gigs in no time and, and I just got a 16 gig iPad. So, um, <laughs> I, I would, I'd load, load the thing up and it'd be like, okay, you know, I'm halfway through a card and I have no room left. So right, right. for me, I don't, I don't see myself using it like a digital wallet, like an Epson, one of those Epson units. Uh, but certainly, after doing a basic edit, I would put my selects on through iPhoto and just sync it up, and it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing for that. I I still haven't gotten received one of those camera connection kits, so I'm still waiting. Apparently, they're very popular and back ordered. Either that or Apple, you know, Apple only made 15 of them. Something <laughs> could be. Well, if I if I see any in Canada, I'll pick a couple up. All right, cool. All right, so let's switch gears. You you mentioned workshops, uh, and last time you talked to you were you were running a bunch of workshops. What's what's going on with you now in terms of you outreaching into the community and training folks on the stuff that you know? I'm trying to limit my my workshop participation to a small handful every year, and I think I'm finally finding a balance. Um, everyone is doing a workshop these days, and uh, some you know some photographers that are leading these workshops have barely been doing photography for more than a couple of years and they're already stepping out and uh, presuming to teach this stuff and and I even I mean I've been doing this for ages and I find teaching workshops a challenge you know every time you get a new group it's it's a different dynamic and the schedule is different and it is really challenging and I've I found it actually quite difficult to kind of find my balance and and find that that spot where I actually you know I do well because I'm not the kind of guy that wants to take a bunch of people around and say, okay, set your tripod up here and shoot. I'm a much more organic kind of teacher. And I think some people resonate with that teaching and other people would rather be told, okay, put your camera here and shoot in this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, I'm doing really, I'm doing, um, in January, I do a safari workshop in Kenya in, um, let me think here, uh, in, in spring, I'm going back to Italy with, uh, with my friend Jeffrey and uh, doing, doing. I think we'll probably do three weeks in Italy this year, three individual one-week trips, and probably end with a sort of a special trip where we take a sailboat down the coast of Croatia. 
Um, so that'll be uh, limited to only probably five or six photographers, but it'll be a lot of fun. I can't mm-hmm. wait for that. Yeah. Um, and then People I are hating my, you right now, by the way. Just I know they are. I know. I know. Because <laughs> it just rolls out of your mouth. It's like James Bond talking about, oh, yeah, I got to jump on a plane, plane and go to Croatia. And then I got to bump over to Italy. And then I'm going to jump on a sailboat. Come on. I, I got to tell you, there are times <laughs> there are times I hear myself say this and I go, you're such a jerk. Like, it just it comes out like it, it really could sound very pretentious. But it's a lot of fun. And you know what? I never take it for granted. I, I giggle like a schoolgirl every time I get on one of these planes to go off on one of these trips. So um, so that's then. And then there's the annual uh, Lumen Day workshop, which is in um, still in northern India in Ladakh. And this year we're doing Ladakh and Kashmir. We're kind of flying up to Srinagar and doing a, a week there and then doing an overland trip up to the, the high altitude desert of Ladakh, which will be really cool. Um, and that really kind of, that brings it to, what is that? Like that's three big workshops a year. And I may do another one in like Mexico or South America somewhere, but I, I'm trying to kind of limit myself. I almost did one in Tibet this year and then they had this huge earthquake and just completely demolished the places we were going to. Mm. And, uh, and the folks we were working with in Tibet, of course, were, you know, their attention were tur- was turned to recovery and, sure. and relief efforts. So we, uh, we canceled that, which was unfortunate. Oh, and I'm doing Kathmandu. That's, that's the other one. So after, uh, this is where people are going to hate me again. Uh, after uh, two weeks in India, in Ladakh, bumping around the high the high altitude and you know yeehaw kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, I'll go to Bangkok and then probably take a week and sit on a beach somewhere. And then Jeffrey Chapman and I are going to Kathmandu, and uh, we've got two weeks in Kathmandu. And there are actually still a couple of spots left on that trip. So if anyone's interested, they could uh, they could get in touch um, through you because um, we'd love to have them. Um, so it's pretty exciting. You know, it's an opportunity. These are different workshops, I think, because we don't focus on the technical. We're really talking more about my kind of strengths, which is identifying your vision, shooting through some of the difficulty. And I think long term, uh, both kind of workshops are needed. But mine is we talk about technical stuff, but the real teaching comes through image review where we sit and we look at a lot of photographs over the course of two weeks. And we say, OK, what what works? What doesn't work? What decisions did you make? What elements did you include? And we get comfortable with the language of critique because I think the more comfortable you are identifying um, what is strong about an image, what is less strong about an image, what worked, what didn't work, um, even if it's not your own image, you bring that back to your own photography. So when you're looking through the viewfinder, you're more able to kind of identify, okay, you know, this line does this and this contrast does that. And so it's talking about the actual elements within the frame rather than you know what we do? We look at photography like it's a technical pursuit, mm-hmm. and we forget that it is pr- that the technical stuff is just a means to an end. Photography is not a technical pursuit. It's an aesthetic pursuit, and that's where we need to focus our attention on. Go, okay, uh, forget about aperture. Forget about shutter speed. Think first about the aesthetics, and then say, okay, what is aperture and what is shutter speed doing for me to achieve that aesthetic? I think if you go the other way around, um, you can get so hung up in the technical stuff, you forget that there's a point to all of it. Yeah, you're talking about being a real photographer. That's uh, and being. What's this about learning your tools and learning about composition and exposure and all that? So you know that reminds me. Um, a while ago, some of the tweets that you put out uh, on Twitter, your pixelated image on Twitter for folks that want to follow you. Um, but one of the tweets you put out were, was sort of. Uh, I think it was like a series over a span of like two weeks. You were talking about how photographers sort of get mired in gear and who cares about the gear and care more about the, the art. You want to go into that a little bit and talk about what you, what you think about, because I, I have my own opinions as people that listen to the show know about 
getting get, hiding behind your gear. Well, I'd, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Well, I, you know, if if what you're inviting me to do right now is get real inflammatory, uh, certainly. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is am, inside the photographer's studio, featuring you know, David Dusherman. <laughs> <laughs> this is rant radio. Um, I, I am, um, yeah, I have some pretty strong opinions about it. I do think that, you know, people go through a kind of a, a photographic adolescence or even a photographic childhood where, you know, you fall in love with photography and you get all excited about the gear. And at, at a certain point, I think you have to come of age where you realize that it's about the photograph itself. And people mistake debating about photography. They mistake pixel peeping and the brand wars for photography. So let me be perfectly clear. Photography is taking photographs. Talking about photography is not photography. And arguing about it and getting distracted by all of this crap that we, we argue and bitch about, I just, frankly, I don't understand it. I mean, I, I get why you'd be excited about your camera, but why you have to put someone else's camera down to make you feel better about yours. You know, well, I can't believe you, you know, Nikon shooters. and You know, you know what? I, I mean... I look at some people that shoot with a D3, and I think, honestly, you could take those crappy photographs with a, a Holga. And I look at some people that shoot with um, with a Holga and think, oh, my gosh, I wish I had your skill level. I mean, mm-hmm. if I could only do that kind of work. So, you know, the, the camera really, truly doesn't matter. When you're serving a client, there are things about particular cameras and sensors and you know, high ISOs and all of that. That's great. That's, that's fine. But that's really just, you know what, choose your tool and use it, but then shut up about it and go take photographs because you go to these forums, which I never do anymore. But these guys, they sign their names with this long list of gear at the end, like all the stuff they own, like it's some badge of honor. You know what? Nobody cares about your gear. If you want me to be impressed, show me your photographs. Let me, honestly, I mean, I would, I invite people, let me be amazed by your photography. I don't care what kind of lens you have. In fact, I'll be even more amazed if your photography is incredible and you don't push a bag of gear in front of me and go, look how amazing my gear is. Mm-hmm. Or look Honest. how big, look how big my bank account was. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know what? It's just, it's so beside the point. I mean, if that's what you get off on, that's fine. Just don't call it photography. Photography is creating photographs. So this whole, I don't know, we just, we get so sidetracked, you know, and I would just love to see people stop caring about the gear. The gear is important. I mean, it's fine. Like I say, gear is good and it really is gear is good. Everyone loves playing with it. That's fine. But, you know, get over it and go take some phenomenal photographs. Spend more time photographing than you do surfing the Adorama catalog or the B&H catalog. And I love the folks at B&H and folks at Adorama, Adorama are great too. But honestly, you know, I think most of them would say the same thing. This gear is out there to serve you, not to be the golden calf. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the 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 act of shooting. And I, I wrote down something while you were talking that we may or may not name this episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I wrote down "shut up and shoot." <laughs> I, I'm gonna of, make. I'm that, gonna register that right now. Shutupandshoot.com. There you go. Shutupandshoot.com. You should go get it. Um, so, just when when on that same vein with people getting mired in gear, they also tend to get mired and very passionate about their post processing and image management applications, whether it be Bridge, Lightroom, Aperture, Photo Mechanic, etc. Whatever they choose, you feel the same way about that, or should someone? You know, is it is it the same kind of shut up and post process or or should they should they be passionate and brand loyal towards one or the other i think brand loyalty it, there's there's an attraction to it but i think there's a trap as well you get to the point where you can't you can't see the forest for the trees and 
honestly, if Apple came out with the most amazing version of Aperture ever, I mean, really, what have, what have I got to lose by trying a demo of it and taking a look at it? Um, I, I love Adobe Lightroom, and the book that I am just about to release, Vision and Voice, uses Adobe uh, Photoshop Lightroom as a, as a tool to teach this post-processing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anyone that uses Apple Aperture and, and can engage their brain a bit would find the book as helpful. It just, you know, it's like being a Canon shooter and using one of Joe McNally's books. You have to apply the principles to, to, to your Canon speed lights, but anyone with a brain can do it. Um, but when it comes right down to it, you know what, it is the same, just, it's a tool process, process your images. And, but you know what, if I'm distracted by your processing, there's a problem. I don't want to be distracted by your processing. It's like spending a whole movie. You can't focus on the story because you keep, you know, seeing a, a boom mic dip into the frame or something or some goofy lighting effect. If I'm distracted by the way that you're telling the story instead of just being able to enjoy the story, then there's a problem there. And really just do your processing, be really good at it. Love the tool that you use, get really good at it, but you know, be open to other things. And if someone uses aperture, let them use aperture, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a again, tool. It's, it's just a tool. Don't, don't be my neighbor complaining about the rake I use to rake my lawn. Right. Totally. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, it's, it's I, I can just imagine people at, cons, you know, construction guys going, Oh, I can't believe you use that, you know, that brand of hammer. Maybe they do, but it just seems really goofy to me. It just seems so beside the point, yeah. you know, just shut up about the hammer and build the friggin' house. Yeah. It reminds me of a, this conversation I had with the, the publisher, at Aperture Magazine, nothing to do with Apple to Aperture. They, if folks that are familiar with Aperture Magazine, it's been out for a long time. It's one of those those heavy, real photography magazines based out of New York. You know those guys. And uh, I was asking her what you know what criterion they use for submissions because photographers submit photos to be included in the magazine, and it's kind of like a career maker. If you get into mm-hmm. Aperture Magazine, that means you are a real photographer, kind of thing. So I said, what are your, what are your criterion with regard to post-processing and digital manipulation? You know, if somebody has a great image and they take a tree out, do you consider it? And her, her response was, was really uh, striking. She basically said, if we can tell that post-processing happened to this image, we won't consider it. So she didn't say that they disallow it. They said, if we can tell that you've, that you've messed with it, they won't allow it. And then she went on to say, which means... If you have Photoshop chops, you need to have strong Photoshop chops if you're going to edit an image and send it into us. Mm-hmm. You know, which is basically saying, like you said, know your tools. If you're gonna if you're gonna get in there and you're gonna you're gonna tweak an image, don't tweak it to the degree that it looks like it's been tweaked. Which is the whole purpose of a lot of d- different photographic genres is to create an image and make make an accurate representation of what the scene was when you photographed it. Right. So I, I thought that was very telling. That is, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure I, I would go alongside about making an accurate representation of, of a scene because when it gets right down to it, I know there are purists that want us to be as accurate and as objective as possible. But um, And I don't want to be overly postmodern about this. But honestly, who's to say, you know, and, and there's a whole section in, in my in this next book about this because it's what got me started. People always say, you know, well, did it really look like that? And mm-hmm. it drives me insane because I think, well, what does that mean? Like, you know, do you do you say that to someone who shot with a wide angle lens? Do you say it to someone who shot with a telephoto? Um, are polarizer filters out? I mean, it, yeah, I was I was wearing my Serengeti sunglasses when I shot that, and so yes, it looked warm, and they happen to be prescription sunglasses, and so it was sharp. But what if I taken my glasses off? I mean, I don't see 
quite as clearly as I'd like to. And so, you know, I, I, what do I have to defocus everything just so that it's an accurate representation of what I saw? Yep. Uh, photography, we've bought for so long this notion that the camera doesn't lie. And so as a result, we're chained to this this really manufactured ethic. And ad- admittedly, I'm not a photojournalist. And so this has nothing really to do with photojournalism, although I'm sure we could, you know, extract some principles from it. I think um, really at the end of the day, I think the onus is on the storyteller to be a storyteller with integrity. And I'm not trying in my photographs to make something that really looked like that. I'm trying to make something that really felt like that. So if you look at the photographs I shot in Italy and yeah, I used, you know, a Singray blue gold filter, uh, polarizer filter and the colors have shifted and they look kind of magical and, and beautiful. And, uh, did it really feel like it looked like that? Well, not really. Um, but it did feel like that to me. And mm. so I photograph, uh, to create an impression and to express myself and, you know, I mean, gosh, how long has photography been around? It's not like this, there's a art to this. There's no canon. There's no scripture that says that, you know, thou should and thou shouldn't um, do this or that. And it, it a little bit drives me crazy that people are trying to draw these lines in the sand and say, well, that's a photograph and, and that's not because it's digital. And so it's, it's actual digital imagery. And, you know, I'm like, well, who says? I mean, it's just, again, it comes back to shut up and shoot. Yeah. You know, don't, don't oppress me with your pontificating. Um, and that goes the same for me too. I mean, frankly, I, I hope everyone listens to the things I say and the things I write. And rather than just swallow them, they engage and they come up with their own questions and their own answers. And that's what's going to make photography a beautiful art when people approach it honestly and without presumption. And they don't just assume that, that what Ansel Adams did makes it the best practice or the right practice. You know, people hold up Ansel Adams and say, Oh, he's, you know, he's such a a genius. And yet they hold him up like he's a traditionalist and he manipulated his images, you know, all kinds of ways for days, you know, (laughs) and they hold up Henri Cartier Brisson. And frankly, as a craftsman and people are going to hate me for saying this, but the stories I've read Henri Cartier Brisson was a hack when it comes to craft. I mean, he was just, he just, he is on the other end of the scale. I mean, he was brilliant with composition. He would wait for his moment and he, you know, he, there's he had a lot going for him. And it doesn't take away from the fact that he was a great photographer. But again, you know, we hold up these heroes like they were the be all and end all. And, you know, his, he just, he would overexpose his stuff and underexpose. I mean, he just, you know, and it was just the way he shot and that's fine. But anyway, I'm going to get on a rant and never stop. Shut well, me up. Someone well, you- shut me up, Frederick. <laughs> shut me up. Shut up and shoot, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, you mentioned writing. So uh, it's a good segue into this other piece that I wanted to talk about. And that's your, this gigantic, uh, uh, Hearst publishing empire you're building. <laughs> so, so, um, I, I remember the first ebook you published and you were kind of surprised at how well it took off. Where are you now? We are, you know what? It's been really exciting. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, I, when I, when I turned back into a photographer and by that, I mean, you know, I kind of abandoned my 12 year comedy career and decided to pursue this, um, first passion of mine. I knew that two things would happen. I knew the kind of clients I wanted to shoot for, and I knew that I wanted to teach. And so it's been really exciting to see it kind of come around and have a a platform where I can teach. And the other thing that's exciting from the, from this 
kind of point of view is that I'm making a living now in a way that I can be very choosy about my clients, which I love. And frankly, if I could get to a point where I didn't have any clients, I could just shoot personal work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be great because that would allow me the most artistic freedom. And it's it's funny. Everyone seems to hold up you know so-called professional photographers as real photographers. And I'm kind of trying to go in the opposite direction <laughs> because I, I have seen that the more you work as a working quote professional photographer um you know you really are you shoot what they want you to shoot and that that can be a strong advantage but um anyway so the ebooks have gone really well i the first one 10 uh 10 ways to improve your craft without buying gear did really really well and so i uh released a second one which i very cleverly called 10 more and uh <laughs> and that that one to my shock did really well too and so we're now at a point where i've started to invite other photographers photographers that i like and respect and look up to and learn from uh, and that are friends of mine and you know kind of twist their arm and and they've started to write some books and the whole concept is, you know, really great photographic education um, for our, less than a magazine, less than a coffee. They're ridiculously priced at five dollars each. Yeah. And usually, usually when we release them, you know, we release them and tell everyone they're for the limited time they can get them for twenty percent off. Or, you know, we're we're really kind of trying to um, get as many people in on board with this and charge as little as possible so that people have enough money to. to you know, to buy them or to save their money and go buy, you know, a camera at the end of the day, um, rather than spending all this money on other stuff. And, um, and you buy a magazine these days and you're spending eight bucks. If that, I mean, maybe you're spending 16 or 20 and it's what three quarters advertisements. And I get it. I understand why the publishers are doing it, but so anyway, we're, we're offering these, what I like to think is, you know, really great value, these eBooks and, uh, they've gone really well. We've had a, a couple really good releases lately and i'm just starting a new series called the print and the process uh or for you americans the print and the process thank you because uh, <laughs> i saw that ask how you spell that yeah i saw that kind of funny look in your eye like, what else he talking about what's this process of which process? he speaks what is that the print and the process is uh it's a series that um it allows the photographs to kind of take center stage and so rather than just use the photographs as background images and illustrations it's uh, it's giving me and the other photographers I'm working with a chance to actually show their work and then talk about it. So say here's here is the photograph, here's the series of images I did. The first one we release will be my Venice monograph from this project I did in Venice, and uh, it just gives us a chance to kind of present the images uh, nice and large and and without distraction, and then go into the second part of the book is a discussion about why I made the images, how I made them. Uh, there's access data. There's all the technical stuff, but the first part of it is just giving the images uh, the ability to stand on their own and people to look at a piece of work. And and so you know, it's, it's one of the exciting things about this whole digital publishing revolution is that the traditional gatekeepers have gone, and I can now put my work into a format that you know thousands of people can download the day we release it. You know, multiple thousands of people download these things and are immediately looking at my work and. And I can share it. I mean, that's why we create this stuff, right? It's not about ego. It's not about, oh, look at me. It's about, I mean, I I shoot this stuff because I'm going, oh, look at that. The more people I can share it with, the better. It's just, it's really gratifying. And, um, you know, whether they like it or not is beside the point. But, you know, you want to at least give people a, a shot at it. And um, and so it's been, it's been really exciting. And then, of course, you know, along comes the iPad, which is just this ultimate... Um, 
I mean, it's just it's amazing for the uh, for the ebooks. So we're in the process of uh, the, sorry, the process. We're in the we're in the process of <laughs> yeah, turning it's okay. these here ebooks. Um, speak with a speak with a, a Western accent if you I, could. Can yeah. I can I can I go back into my Canadian? Can I speak Canadian? Eh? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're in the we're in the process of taking these ebooks and uh, turning them to apps. There's a couple of the books have been turned into apps already. And, but you know, Apple takes their chunk and the developers take their chunk. And so it's, we're trying to find a, uh, some, some happy mediums, but well, even, know, Apple, even on the, you know, the Apple's driving me crazy, but anyway. well, they opened up, then they open up the iBook store to allow you to publish into it. And they they take a chunk out of that. It's kind of like, I guess kind of like being in the iTunes music store. If you want to, or, or, you know, you want to put a song in there, you can submit, your album to be included in the iTunes store. I think they're doing, I saw an article that they're doing the same thing for the iBook store. Is that right? I, yeah. I'd be interested to see how, I mean, if it's, if it's using this EPUB format, I'm not interested because it's using the EPUB format. Yeah. You know what? I hate that. Yeah, EPUB sucks. I'm sorry. It's, you know, why for, does it suck? I'm curious because photography is an aesthetic art form. And here we are sharing these beautiful images with people in, I mean, it's not just you're sticking for a book is a medium to itself and you have to treat it like a medium. You don't just throw words and photographs on it. You build a book and it becomes a, a whole other thing. And then we distill it to EPUB and it just, it's like suddenly it stops being a book and it becomes just this horrible HTML experience with, you know, words and then a photograph. And Well, describe it. Describe, for the folks that don't know what EPUB is, describe, if you could, well, what, it, what, the it, photogra- what, it, what it is and what it means to photographers, if anything. If it, I mean, I, I think if what you're trying to do is teach and the photographs just illustrate your words, I think that's fine. But if you look at my e-books um, and all the e-books that we've created under this craft and vision umbrella, um, they're visually rich. I mean, we want stuff that people look at and are inspired by and really enjoy. And um, and so EPUB, it basically breaks it down. So, you know, you've got a bunch of black text on a white background and then a photograph and then a bunch of black text and then a photograph. And it, it's just, it's aesthetically, um, uh, mind numbing. Mm-hmm. And again, if what you're trying to do is read a book, like, you know, my book, vision mongers and within the frame, you can buy those for the Kindle and they're an EPUB and it's fine. You, you get the content and the pictures are there to illustrate it. You're going to get the teaching and, but I, aesthetically, it's not what I want for these books. So we're still releasing them. And you know what? The iPad does PDF fantastic. I mean, you get an, an, a PDF reader and you're going to be able to get it. And now we're starting to lay them out specifically for the iPad and for laptops and stuff. So that kind of whole two-up issue isn't there. But um, the iPad handles it really well. And the apps are beautiful. If you, I'd rather publish them as apps than publish them on the iBook store. Mm-hmm. Um, the apps are absolutely gorgeous. I mean, they just, they're really nice. So, um, but we're all learning, right? I mean, this iPad's new and the technology is going to keep changing. So I think it's, it's going to be exciting to see where it goes and we're going to keep trying to kind of keep current with it without, you know, without pandering to Apple and without, you know, um, I don't want to jump all over this app thing. Like it's the be all and end all, because the other thing about the app too, you buy an app, you don't really own the content. I mean, it sits on your, your iPad, but you know, you, you, if you buy my PDF, you can put it on your iPad, you can put it on your laptop, you can put it on your desktop. You know what? You can, you, and you can copy it and lend it to a friend. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I put this stuff out there to be, to be consumed and to be enjoyed and I'm not going to chase you down. And you know, if you want to lend it to a friend, copy it and lend it to a friend. I don't care. Um, you're not going to get that same kind of thing from Apple. And if you screw your iPad up and you're going to have to go buy your app again and yeah. It just seems like a lot of work to me. So we're, we're 
can that's not to say we wouldn't play nice with Apple, but they do they take their piece, you know, they take what thirty percent or something ridiculous. So Yeah, well they're a business, right? So Sure, yeah, no, what but so am I. And you know, they're gonna keep nickel and I mean come on, we, we charge five dollars for an ebook. It's not like rolling in cash here. Yeah. And then Apple comes along and takes a piece of it, and then the developer takes a piece and then I have to pay the authors and you know, by the time we're done, no one's making any money on these unless we're selling a million of them. So right. and I right. can assure you we're not selling a million of them. So. Yeah. So um what what was the book that you mentioned that 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 you created an app from? Is it is it on the iTunes Store right now? Yeah, there's two, and this is the other beef I have with the iTunes Store. It's impossible to find them. I mean, you can search by my last name, and you might get them. I was on my iPhone trying to find it today to prove a point to someone, and I I went through. You know, you get 25, and then it's like another 25. I went through I don't know how many another 25s, and I still couldn't find it. Then I searched by name. It's just, you know what, it's it's impossible, and, and it seems to me, and I don't know the full story, but it seems to me Apple's making it pretty hard to even inject your own solid marketing copy just so people are aware of, you know, what mm-hmm. this stuff is. And the more apps that get out there, I mean, the more it's going to be important that there's some kind of clarity, and it's just so ambiguous what some of this stuff is, so. Yeah, yeah well, and, maybe, maybe it does make sense right now for, you know, like you said, PDF uh, represents a, a format that you can design and have it be represented to the end user exactly as you intended when you were in InDesign. Um, and it's portable, you know, and if you want to, you can restrict usage on it. Right. So you can, you can password it if you want. And yeah, sure. Know, I mean, if I want to, things. I mean, and that's the, the thing is that we really don't want to. And, and right now, I mean, we occasionally get a piece of email that says I can't print out my, my ebook. Well, we're not publishing these so people can print them. But frankly, if you take a PDF to Kinko's, it, God bless you if you want to print it off and kill off some trees. That's you know that's your prerogative. But Kinkos will do a great job and they'll they'll print it up for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that with an app. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very true. All right, where should where should folks go to find out more about the stuff that you're working on and these eBooks and all this magic? Well, um, the best place is my my blog, pixelatedimage.com slash blog. Uh, but the ebooks are all on a separate thing, um, and they're on craftandvision.com. And uh, you can go there and get all your ebook needs met. Excellent. And what's your schedule for releasing those? Is it one every week? Is that the plan? No, no, almost. <laughs> Some some people think it's it's that it's, you know occasionally it gets it gets so much that I don't even know what's going on around here. Um, it was one a month, and we're sort of, sort of starting to ramp things up. I think now it's going to be two every month. And uh, for a while, people were saying, "Slow down! I can't read them fast enough." I'm like you know, it's it's not like strawberry jam. It doesn't have a shelf life or anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just you know you don't have to buy it just because it came out. I mean, I would like that, but it'll always be there. So you know, yeah. read the ones you want. And uh, we'll keep releasing them. I've got some really exciting ones. I traveled to Italy with a photographer named Ellie. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce her last name, uh, Reinholdsen. Uh, she's from Norway, and she's an incredible photographer. Frederick, she's been shooting for two years. And I tell you what, she is absolutely inspiring. She, uh, she gave me a copy of her book that she self-published on Blurb. And it's easily my favorite photography book right now. Like I just yeah. – I sat there – this beautiful little picturesque Italian town over over uh, breakfast, uh, becoming so demoralized reading this photography book, just looking at the photographs because she is so good. So once I got over my you know total discouragement, it really inspired me. I mean, she's got a really great style. She mostly shoots silhouettes, uh, shadows, and uh, reflections, mm. and she's just phenomenal. So we're releasing one of uh, a book called Chasing Reflections in the print and the process series, and. Uh, very excited about that. And so there's a bunch of things coming down the pipe. And really the goal 
that we have is we're very tunnel focused. We want to educate and inspire, and that's all we want to do. We're not going to start putting up all kinds of goofy stuff to you know and plush toys and t-shirts and <laughs> mugs and our mugs. And all we're going to do is sell ebooks and get better and better at that and keep them you know selling for ridiculously low price. So excellent for the price yeah. of. One and a half apps so you could own a piece of photography, right? So that's awesome. Well, price of a for the price of a crappy latte and the ebook will last longer. So there you go. And my ebooks won't make you gassy and bloaty. <laughs> On that note, gassy maybe that'll be the title of the show, gassy and bloated. <laughs> I, I think that's gonna be my new marketing campaign. Five dollars and they won't make you gassy and bloated. Nice. Uh, David, well, thanks again. Thanks for for taking time out this evening to to chat with us and bring us up to speed on this stuff. So we will uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, man. Take care. You're welcome. All right, that was David Dushman. Uh, if you want to learn more about David, you can head over to his website, and that's pixelatedimage.com, and we'll have all those links in the show notes. All right, guys, let's jump into the listener questions. Uh, the first one is a Canon question, so I'm going to throw it over to a Canon user. Let's let's roll the dice and say Joseph <laughs> Lenaschke. <laughs> all righty. So question number one, Darren Crown asks, this is a long question, I'm going to paraphrase it a bit. About a year ago, I purchased a Canon Rebel XSI, which was my first DSLR. Since then, I've added a 50mm 1.8, good choice, 70-200 to 2.8, very good choice, and 11-16 2.8. I feel as if I'm reaching the limits of what the Canon Rebel can do for me, and I'm interested in upgrading to a newer Canon camera body. What camera body would you recommend? He talks about what he likes to take pictures of, um, people, scenics, panos, and so on, so kind of pretty much everything. Um, and then he comments that he noticed that the 7D has a faster frames per second rating than the 5D Mark II, but the low-level lighting performance is not as good. Should I buy one of these cameras, or is there another camera that I should be considering instead? Um, you know, it's, it's a tough question. I think uh, when I'm recommending cameras to people and telling them how to figure out what to buy, once at this point when they're ready to upgrade, a lot of it comes down to durability. Right? You've got your your Rebel level, which is obviously the lowest level. Then you've got like the, the 50D level, and then you've got the 7D and 5D level, and then of course the, the Mark III, the, one, uh, the 1DS level. And so those are kind of your four levels of cameras, and as you go up, those things become more and more durable. And the phrase I always like to use with my 1DS Mark III is that's the camera that I could beat a man to death with and then take his picture. That's how strong that camera is. Nice. <laughs> always gets attention. Um, is that a special section of the portfolio? <laughs> <laughs> Very special section. Uh, so um, for what he's doing, and he's kind of all over the place, it, it's hard to know exactly what he needs from from his suggest or from his things here. It really is also going to come down to budget. You know, the 50D is a amazing camera. Between the 70 and the 5D, if he's looking at those two choices, the the big difference there that he hasn't mentioned that maybe he doesn't realize is that the 5D is a full frame sensor, whereas the 70 is the crop frame. So on the 5D. His wider lens is going to be true wide lens, although this 11 to 16 he's got is not one I'm familiar with, so I don't know if it's a white dot or a red dot lens, meaning if it's going to even work on the full-frame body. Um, but his 50 will be a true 50, his 70 to 200 will be a true 70 to 200. Unless he's shooting a lot of sports, but it doesn't look like he is, he may want to go for that 5D and get that full-frame sensor. And that's, that's my choice generally. I don't like the crop-frame sensors. I'm always um, sticking with the full-frames. It's, right, it's just my preference. If, I mean, it depends. I would I would disagree. Just in depending upon where he's coming from, you know, the amount of lenses he's already invested in. That you know, to make that jump to the five D and potentially having to get all new lenses, and you know, the cost of those lenses being higher, I think that's a pretty big 
jump in budget unless he recently won the lottery or, or got a 40% raise last year. I think it's going to be an easier transition to the 70. Um, and I'm much happier with the 70, obviously, from a video shooting standpoint. But I don't find that huge of a difference, you know, with the low light performance between the two. I mean, you know, we're not all out shooting, you know, church services and weddings under low light or parties. You know, I don't know. Just I guess it depends what he's doing with the camera. But I wouldn't discount the 7D as being that far off from the 5D. In some cases, I like it better. Fair enough. His lenses, the 51.8 and the 70 to 200 2.8, are definitely definitely will work with the 5D. The only one in question is the 11 to 16. Which yeah, I, I don't, I, that may not even be a Canon lens. I'm not. I think familiar. that's a Sigma lens. Yeah, if I'm, right. I don't, I'm not familiar with it. I, I don't actually know of that lens either, so I'm not sure. But I think you know. I think I kind of. Uh, the problem is he he cites sort of two criteria that you know he likes to shoot sports and he likes to shoot uh, uh, things that would be better for the low light stuff. So he kind of wants the best of both worlds, and you know, neither camera hits every single mark there. Yeah. So, yeah. At some level, it's like, why don't you go rent rent both of them and try them out and see what you think? There you go. There's the. That's option. a really good option. Yeah, rent them both. Mm-hmm. Try them out. Excellent. All right. Question number two uh, is from Jonathan Swafford. Uh, Mr. Brinkman, you want to take that one? Yeah, I think this is an icon question, but I did a little checking on it. Jonathan says, "I am trying to pick out my first fifty millimeter lens. I want to know the benefit of the one point four over the one point eight. And if it's worth the extra cash, and what is the difference between the AF-D and the AF-G? Uh, so, so the first point, um, just generally the 1.4 over the 1.8. I can't talk about the Nikon versions of it. Uh, on the Canon side, I have the 1.4, and typically you're getting not just uh, the slightly better light characteristics, uh, you know, low light capabilities, but also the build quality tends to go up when you go to that uh, more premium lens, and, and what that translates to is a more solid lens. Uh, and uh, faster focusing, at least on the Canon side of things, uh, which I do really like. My 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 1.4 on the Canon in the Canon world is really fast focusing. Having said that, the 1.8 is a really good lens, and I'm sure that the same deal is true on Nikon's Nikon's world, where they they make an extremely good 1.8 uh, 50 millimeter prime. The AF-D and the AF-G, and again, this is just doing a quick Google. Uh, I think has to do with the fact that um, one of them has a, a, a an on on the lens capability to change the aperture, whereas the other one it has to be can only be done uh, digitally, you know, done through the camera body, mm-hmm. which is probably not an issue if you've got any kind of a modern camera. Uh, it's only probably just more if you're, you know, wanted to put this lens on an older camera that couldn't change the the aperture electronically. Okay, very good. All right, and number three goes to our guest, our special guest, Mr. Richard Harrington. You want to take this one? Uh, I don't know how expert level I could reply on this, but I mean, basically... Richard, you, are, the, the, you are multimedia. You can talk about anything, and you know it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I feel, free to, feel free to interject your opinions all. Well, um, hand it up to you, when, you, when you've got yours. I've got a few things to add into this one. Okay, Sure. Cool. So uh, Alejandro uh, Rosano wrote, wrote in and asked about, you know, okay, so I have multiple focus points, but usually I'm only using the middle focus point to focus and then recompose. Is there a difference between focusing and then recomposing and selecting the focus point uh, to mark where your subject is? I think it's sort of a matter of speed. 
Um, and I think it sort of depends upon the shooting style you're going for. I like using multiple focus points and, you know, being able, especially if I'm using a tripod shot to sort of, you know, change that. If I'm shooting a lot of exposures of the same thing, maybe I'm trying to play with depth of field or what's going to be in focus, what's going to be out of focus. I think it sort of depends upon the style of shooting you're doing, but I think it's a lot easier to oftentimes just quickly move that focus point than constantly recomposing and adjusting the camera position. I find it easier to have that flexibility uh, than having to constantly move the body. But yeah. Joseph, feel free to jump in. Yeah, so the biggest drawback of recomposing is, of course, that that takes time, and during that time, what you're shooting can change. So if you're shooting people, then the that expression that you're trying to capture when you focus on the body, focus on the face, and then move the camera a little bit, the expression could be gone. It most likely will be gone. Um, if you're shooting really, really shallow depth of field, you actually are technically changing the distance between the subject and the camera, and so you could end up throwing them slightly out of focus, but that's, I mean, that's pretty extreme, but that can happen. But mainly the thing is that you're going to lose, you're going to lose the moment. So I'm a really big advocate of learning how to control that uh, focus point and learning to do it just blind. You know, you're looking through the lens, you've got your thumb on the control, uh, the control joystick, at least on the Canon's little joystick under the thumb. I would imagine it's pretty much the same on the Nikon and knowing exactly how to move that point where you want it immediately. That's how I shoot everything. I always re, I'm always moving the focus point around while I'm looking through the viewfinder, and you know, kind of manually tracking the objects in the scene by moving that focus point around. That's what you got to do to follow something that's moving at all and keep them in focus if you don't want them in the center of the screen. Yeah, it takes a lot of. I mean, it takes some some practice to to just get your your eye and your hand and the lens and all that stuff to connect together so that you're. You know, you're, you have an eye on what's going on. You're composing properly and you're making sure the focus point is in the right, sp- right spot. You make sure your, yep. your, your exposure is correct. All this stuff is happening in a split second. So that's mm. part of being a pro, right, Joseph? There you go. No one said photography was easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's getting that way. You know, speaking of easy, uh, and this isn't in the notes, but did you, have you guys seen that, that, that new Sony point and shoot? Um, I think we talked about it a couple of days ago, but I finally saw it on a commercial where you to do panoramas, you just do like a sweeping motion with the camera, and it yeah. records yes. it and makes a <laughs> panorama. Yeah, it just just out of PMA. Yeah, that was cool. I mean, you see, just like wow, that's almost too easy. That's that's like that's not fair. You know, all this. It's, uh, <laughs> the one limitation to it is it looks like it's only a, a horizontal pan, so mm-hmm. you can get really wide images, but you can't sort of paint the scene and get super high res images. Yeah. But I'm sure that's coming too. That's that's. Amazing. But you can hold the camera vertically, right? Isn't that what we saw at the show run? You yeah, can you can hold it vertically and do, but you still then do a horizontal sweep. So yeah, you can get you know the the different aspect ratio. You know, you can get the wide side of it being your vertical, and then pan it horizontally. But you could do that. You could do that separately. So you could say you you could do like three or four swipes going up, and mm-hmm. get those three panoramas, and then take those into Photoshop it's and have it stitch them together, right? Yep. Yep. Oh, oh yeah, the photo merge in Photoshop's incredibly forgiving at this point. Oh, I need it. I need it. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, it's time to move on to the picks of the week. Uh, first up, um, Ron, you want to talk about yours? Yeah, sure. Just a real quick one. Our friend Stu Mashwitz, who's been on the show before, uh, has done something in conjunction with Red Giant Software. It's an iPhone app, and it's called Plastic Bullet. Uh, and there's a couple of apps out there kind of like this, but this is a really well-done one. It, it basically lets you um, take any any pictures you take with your iPhone and process it to give you sort of this antique look or a Lomo kind of photography look or, you know, some of those those uh, older or 
shall we say, less robust cameras that had interesting artifacts due to light leaks and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it, it's a really nice setup. You just basically take the picture, and then it sort of gives you four options. Uh, it sort of randomly picks them out of uh, its repertoire of things that it can do to an image. If you don't like that, you press a button, and it gives you four more options. It's very much intended to just be kind of a quick way to produce these artsy sort of photos without... You know, there's not a lot of going in and, tw- in fact, there's no going in and tweaking the sliders to get it exactly the way you want. It's more a matter of, as was the case with some of these old cameras, you sort of get this randomness out of it. And that's kind of the beauty of it all, just kind of a, a neat, happy accident, if you will. So, like I said, it's called Plastic Bullet, and it's available on iTunes. I think it's $2. Very cool. All right. So that, that's a it. spinoff of his Magic Bullet, right? Isn't that from the same guy? Uh, uh, mostly in, in in name only, I think. I mean, it's you know, it probably uses some of the same image processing technology that uh, you know Red Giant has a, a good experience with doing that. Um, but you know, his his Magic Bullet stuff is a very specific tool for doing high end look, you know, color grading kind of thing. Whereas this is much more about you kind of get a random look out of it. So. Uh, from that perspective, they're kind of different. Excellent. The one limitation it has right now that I know that it says they're fixing is that it caps the image at 800 by 600, so hopefully mm-hmm. that update will come out pretty quick. Uh, it says it's going to be a free update. <laughs> How much did yeah, you say that yeah. app was, Ron? Is it 2 bucks? I think it's $1.99, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it brainer. is. Half a cup of coffee. Yeah. Exactly. Very cool. All right, Richard, what do you got for us? Uh, just wanted to point out to folks that uh, Photoshop World's coming up, and uh, there's a $100 early bird discount going on for right now. So uh, I think that's a good thing. I, uh, I actually have a pre-con on DSLR video I'm hoping people will come to, but uh, it's in Vegas. So one, Vegas is fun. Two, save 100 bucks now so you can then lose it when you go gamble. And, uh, <laughs> or just give it to me and I'll you know keep it. Yeah, I'll, I'll spend it for you. It's all good, yeah. So uh, I, I think um, one of the things, you know, I've been going to Photoshop World now for about eight years. I think one of the things that folks don't often realize is that Photoshop World is also very much about photography and uh, not just you know what do you do with the images afterwards. So it's sort of evolved into being an equal balance of both. And uh, Vegas is always a good time. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And when when is the conference? Conference is uh, August thirty first. Is the pre cons, and then the conference itself is the first through the fourth of September. Excellent, very cool. Yeah, I'll definitely be there as well. All right, Joseph, what do you got for us? All right, well, I kind of cheated. I grabbed the iPhone four. <laughs> that's my pick of the week. <laughs> oh, that's appropriate. You know, well, why not? Why Even not? though I you're mean, talking about a product you only read about, it's not like you tried it. So. That's good enough. I mean, come on, half the he stuff. Might have. Uh, yeah, no, he maybe has. I have. <laughs> maybe I have. No. Yeah. Um, I think between the 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 camera itself is is obvious. So that's kind of an you know easy one as to why it's cool. But I'm really excited about the screen technology and not even so much of what it means on the iPhone, but what it means in the future for a device like the iPad. You know, when I was in China, um, you know, as I mentioned, having my iPad was amazing, and being able to show people pictures on the iPad was phenomenal. And I think it's just going to get better. And having that kind of resolution for that sort of thing is just fantastic. So, yeah, I'm, this new iPhone is obviously pretty wicked cool. And having the, the great new camera on there, it's got um, you know, front and rear-facing camera. Even if you don't do any video chatting, the front-facing camera just for self-portraits. You know, the look at me standing in front of the Eiffel Tower picture? Yeah. That's going to be really cool. It's nice to finally have that camera on the front there. So those little, little family photos, little personal me and the kid photos um, out and about are going to you know, improve dramatically. I mean, right now I know when I try and take one of those pictures, I've gotten pretty good at pointing the camera in the right place and 
tapping the shutter release and almost getting everybody in the picture, but not quite. <laughs> so <laughs> this will be a very welcome addition to it. That's so. cool. Much better than... I mean, remember remember on those the other kind? I think it was like the Trio or whatever. It had the little polished thing on there. Mirror. Yeah. yeah, the little mirror yeah, yeah. so right. you could kind of get your composition in there. I have to see it. Yeah. yeah. I, I have to say that I, I suspect that this front-facing camera and the uh, functionality that goes with it is going to be the most annoying thing about this iPhone because... It's bad enough these days when you're out in public and people are talking on the phone. Now imagine a world where everybody's holding that phone out in front of them so they think they have to talk even louder <laughs> to get to it because they're trying to do video conferencing. Yeah, or I'm video conferencing while... Well. I hope they'll disable the video conferencing if the GPS detects you're moving faster than three miles an That's hour. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say because people are texting now and they're going to be riding down the street having conversations and trying to focus on the road. But, well, at the moment, it's not a concern. It doesn't look like the video chat works over 3G. It's only Wi-Fi. So uh, we're safe for now. Uh, it's basically iChat. It's iChat AV. It's not telephone. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, then however, there's, there's always jailbreaking, jail- right? So. Exactly. Jailbreak your phone and you can spoof it to uh, yeah. think it's over 3G or exactly. over Wi-Fi. <sighs> yeah, I guess they wouldn't be able to sell these things in Japan if they didn't include that feature built in. So. Yep. 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 Geek lust overfloweth. Look at that. All I right. An unlocked one. That's what I want to know. Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> my, uh, my pick of the week is something that if you're a Mac user, you probably already own, and it's, uh, it's a little app that's probably on your Mac if you haven't deleted it called Image Capture. And the reason I made it my pick is, yeah, we all, you know, you, you may be using iPhoto or Aperture or Lightroom or whatever and importing your images and stuff into that, but occasionally you don't want to bring it into an application. Maybe you just want to, you took a photo and you just want to yank it off real quick or you know you don't want to you don't want to drill into it or you want to import everything into a specific folder really quickly or maybe even have automator do some stuff with it uh well image capture comes to the rescue and it does all that stuff for you for example yesterday I took some photos and I just wanted to pull it off you know just pull one photo off of it and um I let image capture do it I I launched the application I was able to preview all the images on there um shift select or control select the images that I wanted to download to my desktop and hit download, and boom, and it pulled them off of there. So it's a, it's a really clean, fast application for doing that kind of stuff. And it also acts as a, an image import for your scanner as well. So if you, for example, I have a multifunction scanner connected to my Mac, uh, one of the Epsons, um, and I can use it to scan if I want to instead of using Epson software. So it's just a, it's a really robust, clean, focused application, um, and I, I tend to use it relatively regularly. Um, yeah. so that's my, that's my pick of the week. All right. Um, that brings us to the end of the show. Um, we're, we're, we're there. So guys, give us quickly where, uh, Ron, where can people go to find out where you are online and follow you and, and digitally generally, keep up with you? yeah, generally Twitter still the best place. Uh, I am at Ron Brinkman on Twitter. All right. And Joseph, where are you at? At photojoseph.com for the photography side of life and apertureexpert.com for the aperture side of life. All right, very cool. And Mr. Harrington, where are you at? Uh, on Twitter, under Red Pixel, R-H-E-D-P-I-X-E-L. And my personal blog is richardharringtonblog.com. And uh, just about everything's up there. There's about six years' worth of articles and tips and videos and things like that. 
Excellent. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me on my blog at frederickvan.com or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And also you can follow the show on Facebook. We have our own Facebook fan page. Um, just just search for TWIP on Facebook and you'll find it. Or uh, go to TWIP blog and click over to it from there. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Oh, 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 oh,